Welcome to Faithful Echoes, the sermon podcast from St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. New episodes are available every Monday featuring the Collect of the Day, Scripture readings, and Father Joel Huffstetler's insightful sermon from the previous Sunday. Perfect for catching up on missed sermons or revisiting favorites, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and our website at www.stlukescleveland.org backslash podcast. Subscribe now for spiritual reflections that fit seamlessly into your week. Let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. You will, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. The word of the Lord. The psalm appointed for this morning is Psalm 22, verses 22 to 30, found on page 611 of the Book of Common Prayer. We will read responsively by half verse. Praise the Lord, you that fear him. For he does not despise nor abhor the poor in their poverty, neither does he hide his face from them. My praise is of him in the great assembly. The poor shall eat and be satisfied, and those who seek the Lord shall praise him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. For kingship belongs to the Lord. To him alone all who sleep in the earth bow down in worship. My soul shall live for him, my descendants shall serve him. They shall know 
they shall come and make known to a people yet unborn. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. The promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, So numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's Gospel lesson is taken from Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. In verse 33, we read, But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. It's one of the most memorable verses in all of the New Testament. Commenting on verse 33, Kent Hughes writes, These were the harshest words Jesus ever spoke to a devoted, well-meaning heart. Just want us to take a moment and to let those words wash over us. These were the harshest words Jesus ever spoke to a devoted, well-meaning heart. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. In his comments on verse 33, Dennis Nynum notes regarding Jesus' rebuke of Peter that it is offered with, quote, blistering severity. Another memorable phrase, blistering severity. I think we all have heard the truism, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. Right? Sometimes you're the windshield. Sometimes you're the bug. In preparing this sermon, I thought about how many celebrities, how many athletes, how many politicians who were once held in everyone's highest esteem have fallen from grace in the public eye for one reason or another. And when a celebrity of whatever status falls from grace in public, it's never lost on me that if it can happen to them, it can happen to anyone, right? If it can happen to somebody at the pinnacle of success, it can happen to anyone. And in thinking that it could happen to anyone, it's never lost on me, it could happen to me. So it's actually humbling to see someone fall from grace in the public eye because we never know what our own future may be. Sometimes you're the windshield. Sometimes you're the bug. To understand Jesus' rebuke of Peter in today's gospel lesson, we need to know what brought it up, and that is found in the verses just before Today's gospel lesson, it's still in Mark 8, verses 27 through 29 that we read. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. This is what we call Peter's confession, sometimes called the Petrine confession. It's a high point in the gospel narrative. 
Peter gets it right. Peter is the first disciple to utter the words, you are the Messiah. For Peter, that meant you are not just a rabbi. You are not just a prophet. You are not just a priest. It's Peter who has the courage and the faith to be the first disciple to say the words, you are the Messiah. You are the promised anointed one of God. At that moment, Peter is the windshield. It's a high point of Peter's life. He's had the faith to step out. Has had the courage to say the words, you're not just another priest or prophet or teacher. We think that you're the son of God. So what happened? How did Peter go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows? To see the interaction between verse 29 and 33, we have to take on board verse 32, where Mark tells us, And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Commenting on the relationship between verses 32 and 33, Ralph Martin notes of Jesus' rebuke of Peter that it is, quote, a bold rejection of Peter's mistaken notion of a political or revolutionary Messiah. And here's where we get to the crux of the issue. Peter gives the right answer, you are the Messiah. But Peter assumes that means that Jesus will be an earthly king, a political figure, perhaps even a military leader, perhaps a revolutionary. And so Jesus takes the moment to say to the disciples, that is the right answer. But in verse 31, Jesus gives the disciples his own understanding of Messiahship. Jesus answers in theological terms. In effect, Jesus says in verse 31, that before the glory of Easter... There has to be Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday. But this is against the grain of popular thinking. The popular thinking among Jews was that the Messiah would be a political figure, a king like David, a revolutionary. Jesus' understanding of Messiahship, however, is sacrifice servanthood, atonement, once for all for the sin of the world. In his comments on the interrelationship between verses 32 and 33, Grant Osborne writes, Peter is thinking of earthly power and victory while Christ is envisaging redemption and salvation via suffering. So yes, Peter gives the right answer. You are the Messiah. But then Jesus tries to teach all of the disciples, yes, you're right, but here's what that means. Sometimes we're the windshield. Sometimes we're the bug. How did Peter go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows so quickly? 
He did that because he had the audacity to try to correct Jesus of Jesus' own understanding of Messiahship. We might say in our modern parlance, Peter got out of his lane. We might say Peter got out over his skis. Or one of the favorites from my childhood, he got too big for his britches. I don't need my notes to talk about that one. Heard it enough in my youth. I can still hear it. Don't get too big for your britches. That's what happens with Peter. Verses 29 through 33 of Mark 8, when we think about it, deal with the human condition. In witnessing Peter's momentary fall from grace, we are not his judge. Instead, he is our brother. It's a major point of today's sermon. In looking at Peter's mistake, we're not meant to stand in judgment of him. We're to understand it could be us. Sometimes in our time, it is us when we get off the path that we're meant to follow. Commenting on Jesus' rebuke of Peter, another scholar, Eugene Boring, notes, Peter is called to repent, to think in a radically different way. In the Gospel lesson today, it's Peter. But sometimes it's us. It's us who are called to repent. We're called to think in a radically different way. Which brings us back to Lent, doesn't it? Ash Wednesday was just a week and a half ago, launching us into a new 40-day season of personal and spiritual introspection, reflection, repentance, and renewal. Sometime I ask you to notice the Ash Wednesday liturgy in the prayer book. The prayer book is specific on Ash Wednesday that the service does not start with an opening hymn. Most public services of worship at least can start, and oftentimes do start, with a hymn. But the prayer book makes clear, if you look at the instructions, Ash Wednesday is not meant to start with a hymn. Because the first words of the service are from the collect of the day, the prayer specifically crafted for Ash Wednesday. So the prayer book makes clear to us, on Ash Wednesday, the first words we are meant to hear are these, Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made, and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. What a wonderful way to start Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent. These words are meant to frame the entire Lenten season. They're meant to give content to the entire season of Lent. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. So every season of Lent begins on a note of hope. The ever-present hope of forgiveness, reconciliation, 
and a new beginning through God's grace and love. Peter and Jesus clearly had an especially close friendship. The Gospels are clear on that. But their friendship was not without its moments. For most of us, our friendships, our relationships are not without their moments. The Gospel writers are clear in portraying Peter that he oftentimes makes mistakes. And yet there are also those moments of triumph. The Gospel writers portray Peter in all of his humanity, in all of his humanness. St. Peter is not a plaster saint. He's just as human as we are. Sometimes he's the windshield. Sometimes he's the bug. Who of us can't relate to that human reality? But here's the conclusion of this morning's sermon. For all of those moments between Jesus and Peter, when Peter does misstep, Jesus never gives up on him. Today's gospel lesson is from Mark chapter 8. In Mark chapter 14, we get that memorable story of Peter's denial. You may remember it's on what we call Maundy Thursday, that first Thursday that we remember so poignantly. It's the lowest point of Peter's life. It's been a long day that Thursday before Good Friday. After supper, after the foot washing, Jesus has been betrayed and arrested by this point in the narrative. Everything's coming unraveled for the disciples. Everything they've believed in seems now to be in jeopardy. And in that courtyard, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of fatigue, and no doubt in a moment of fear, Peter, the closest disciple to Jesus, denies even knowing him. It's the lowest moment in Peter's life. From you are the Messiah to I don't know the man. Peter fails the test of friendship in that momentous moment. The author of Mark tells us in chapter 14, verse 72, and Peter broke down and wept. Just feel that for a moment. From the highest of highs, you are the Messiah, Lord. You're the Christ. To being so brokenhearted in his own humanness, Peter breaks down and cries. But that's not the end of the story. Chapter 16 of Mark, we get the resurrection. And in Mark's account of that first Easter morning, there's an angel speaking to the women who have come to the tomb. And the angel says to those women in chapter 16, verse 7, Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Peter's the only disciple mentioned by name, which is the author's way of saying he's been forgiven. Even from his denial, 
of Jesus. From that even, the Spirit of God has forgiven Peter. And Peter is reconciled and is included in Jesus' resurrection appearances. Jesus never gives up on Peter. Thanks be to God, he never gives up on us either. Amen.